You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome to episode 21 of the Brutally Honest Sports Podcast. My name is Dan Kurtz, and I'm joined by my co-host, the man, the myth, and always the legend, Aaron Riley. Episode 21, Aaron, uh, you just mentioned our podcast is old enough to drink. Uh, probably one of the ultimate dad jokes ever uttered on this podcast. But uh, great to be back with you. Great to be talking some NBA tonight, uh, a little NFL talk. Uh, Plaxico Burris started an OnlyFans account, uh, so maybe we can get into that a little bit and how sick and twisted that may be, but nonetheless, happy to be back doing the pod with you this week, my friend. Man, you uh, you had me excited to do the pod. Now my stomach's a little bit uh, upside down, but, you know, we'll keep it rolling and, and we'll get into it. I figured you'd be excited to check out uh, Mr. Burris' OnlyFans. Maybe check out his gunshot wound. I don't know. Maybe check out a couple of his – maybe it's one ring, I think. Maybe check out his ring, but uh, <laughs> nonetheless, I think sickening is, is the correct way to put it. But uh, let's get into today's topics, folks. All right, starting here off in the NBA, the National Basketball Association. Uh, we're going to do a roundup here, uh, probably start with a couple of series and move on to just some overarching topics. Uh, we got Milwaukee Bucks leading the Orlando Magic 3-1. to one. Uh, Recently coming across the wire today, Tuesday, as we're recording, uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo is uh, one defensive player of the year. Um, obviously, I think he's a favorite for MVP as well. Do you remember, Aaron, uh, if you recall a time in which uh, the same player won both Defensive Player of the Year and MVP? Uh, it's got to be Le- LeBron James. LeBron James, I would I say. Is think, the last. I don't think it was LeBron. I think, it, I think, no? I think Garnett did it. I, I think MJ did it, obviously. I think the last one to do it was Garnett. We'll, we'll have to get the research department on that. I mean, I'm – I'm used to, you know, obviously the the new LeBron doesn't play too much defense. Not really that's kind of obvious, but uh, you know, I remember the the days of LeBron being first team all defense. I figured maybe he cracked it once, uh, MVP and and defensive player of the year. But you're probably right. Uh, yeah, Garnett was a beast in his day. That's that's to be sure. I don't think LeBron has ever won defensive player of the year, which is a crime against humanity. But uh, talk, talking about Giannis here, uh, obviously lost game one to the Magic. That was a little bit of a shock, but then has rallied off three straight. Uh, this conversation isn't really about the Magic per se, but uh, Giannis, Giannis and, and the Bucks have obviously been rolling through the Magic, who weakest team in the bubble. I think you could you could probably make that argument, maybe the Nets with, with the slew of injuries and the lineup changes they've been going through. But uh, Giannis out there doing his thing, uh, you know, dunking up 20, you know, yelling at folks. He, I think he got ejected one of the games. Uh, he was, you know, upset by their three and five record in, in the seating play. So just basically back to doing Giannis things. But, uh, if, if they don't get past, you know, the Celtics or the, or the Raptors, or if they don't get to the finals, do you think, you know, people are talking differently about Giannis after the series, or do you think that may be a product of the team that he's on? Uh, yeah, that's kind of a double-edged sword. I, I would say that obviously the conversation has to be made, you know, if you don't get through the second round of the playoffs, um, you know, are you really the most valuable player? That's, that's up for debate. I, I would say probably not, but, um, you know, at, in the same token, I don't think his team is, is filled with superstars. Obviously they're, they're pretty, they're a lengthy team. Uh, they're obviously a defensive team first. 
Um, so, you know, you can make the case for him being the MVP. Obviously, uh, his defense alone is, you know, sensational. And, you know, his offense has improved, you know, drastically the last couple of seasons. Um, but I think, you know, against, a you know, a Boston squad, I think you got to at least uh, take care of business against them. I, I would love to see that matchup. I think that'll be a great one. Um, but, yeah, I'm kind of split. I would say, you know, for me, it, it's, it is a team sport. And, and obviously, the whole team has to show up. But at the same time, you know, a lot of the, the fans and, and the way people look at basketball is very individualized as well. So um, that would be a hard case to make if, if, you know, let's say they get swept or or they only win one game in the next series to, to say that he's the MVP. I don't know if that's exactly right. Yeah, you know, they, they'll go up against the Heat next round. It'll be Raptors and then it'll be Celtics uh, to that all out in the, in the second, which should be a good series as well. I think uh, – the winner of that series, I you know, I, I'd probably put them up, uh, you know, against the Bucks. Maybe it's a six-game, seven-game series. I do think the Bucks would ultimately take them out, but I'm not really seeing much from from the Bucks. Maybe they're waiting, obviously playing a team like the Magic. You know, you're you're probably gonna not be as motivated to, to play. But the Heat might give them some trouble. They got Bam, Abadeo. They got Jimmy Butler. Obviously, they have. Uh, Andre Godala, they got your boy Goran Dragic. So I, you know, I think they can give some fits. They, they're coming off a sweep of the Indiana Pacers. Get a little extra, extra time off as as the uh, Bucks still have one game to go to clinch. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, but uh, moving on to the Celtics uh, sweeping our hometown, Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, what are you, what are your thoughts on this series? And then what are your thoughts on uh, the aftermath and, and the turmoil and turnover coming out of Philadelphia? Yeah, so uh, super interesting series, super interesting storyline. Obviously, getting uh, getting absolutely blown out of the building. Uh, the Sixers just taking L. It's like it's their job. Um, you know, it's interesting. You bring up the point that the Magic um, might be the weakest team in the in the bubble, or or the Nets. I don't. You know, the the Nets to me are an afterthought. But um, I think you know you could make a case that the the Sixers, the way they performed, are they could be the weakest team just on the, the fact of, um, you know, basketball efficiency. Like, it, I watched a couple of these games uh, and and things like that, and, and it was just, like, everybody standing around, and they would just try and give it to Embiid. Like, it, it was like the Celtics knew what was coming every single time. Um, just, I don't know. It, it just looks like a dumpster fire there. Uh, it looks like without Ben Simmons, that team just doesn't know what to do. Uh, they don't know how to run offense. The defense was getting blown to pieces. Tobias Harris had an awful series. Al Horford needs to go. Um, you know, I just think the, the Sixers imploded right before uh, everyone's very eyes. Uh, and, and just it was awful. So, uh, you know, obviously got to give credit where credit's due. I think the Celtics, you know, took it full advantage of that. I think, uh, they're one of those teams where if you give – if you incentivize them, like if, if – the Sixers start playing bad, they're going to pile on and they're going to, you know, they'll run it up. You know, they'll go on a, a 10 to no, ten to zero run in no time. They're, they're that type of team. So you can't really be relaxed and, and go out there like lackadaisical and, and just think you're going to win. Um, I think the Sixers, obviously, missing Ben Simmons is a big piece. But at the same time, I just – I don't know. I just felt like their mind wasn't in it. I don't think they were playing for Brett anymore. I think they kind of gave up on him. So I think it's good that he's out the door. I, I agree with that move. Um, a research department did did get me a, a couple stats on, on Brett Brown, and you gotta you gotta keep in mind that you know they they did uh, intentionally tank for I can't tell you how many years that was like three at least yeah over under on three years on on the tank process. But uh, regardless of that, he was twenty. He was he had two hundred and twenty one wins and three hundred and forty four losses, and then. Uh, at the same time, he's 12 and 14 all time in the playoffs with the Sixers. So uh, not, you know, not by any means very good stats in either category there. So I would say, you know, Sayonara, Brett Brown, they need a new face, uh, a new voice in that organization. Um, they did come out with like a, a press release today and, and they were defending, uh, you know, keeping Embiid and, and uh, Simmons together. That's always a, a hot topic. Um, you know, if they 
ship one of those if the team would be better or be worse, whatever. But uh, they are trying to keep both of those, at least from what they're saying so far, in uh, in a Sixers uniform. Um, but I think the, the Al Horford contract was a huge mistake. I think they're yeah. – uh, Elton Brand, the GM, is – you know, he, he's kind of just taken over last season. So he's, he's kind of getting a clean slate now with uh, the coach being gone. But what's interesting, and, and I was kind of keeping up with this a little bit today, uh, the – owner or the I think it's don't quote me but I think Josh Richardson or something along those lines uh he didn't even come out and and make a statement he wasn't even there so it just kind of tells you that their their leadership is isn't exactly uh you know front and center for for any of this I think either they're embarrassed or they just don't care enough but uh obviously getting swept like they did is is an embarrassing thing to happen and and they're going to start over I don't. I don't know. I. Th- I think it's the right move. I was never a Brett Brown fan. I think um, he just never really got it done, in my opinion. And I think after last season, there was a ton of pressure going into the season because they, they lost in the uh, to Toronto in the uh, semifinals there. So I don't know. They just didn't show up this season for me. I'm a I'm a Brett Brown guy. I think he's been dicked around the past seven years and. You know, Elton Brand coming into, you know, this, you know, a year ago and trying to write the ship in a year obviously isn't going to help. Obviously, you're not going to win a playoff series without your best player, uh, Ben Simmons. I think he's much better than Embiid. I think Embiid could be dominant if, if he focused on playing basketball for 48 minutes. I think he only really cares when, when it's his time to shine and then checks out at other points during the game. And there's always going to be the question of whether – a ball dominant, you know, put your back to the basket, uh, you know, traditional sentiment is going to mix with a move, move up the floor distribution guy and a, you know, point guard like Ben Simmons. I think it also hurts the team that Ben Simmons can't fucking make a jump shot. So I think there's problems with both guys, but if I, you know, gun to my head, I'd probably have to take Simmons over and beat. And like you mentioned, the Horford contracts absolutely absurd. They have like 17 power forwards on that team that can't really shoot that well, you know, besides Harris uh, Brett Brown, I think, has endured a lot over the years and really hasn't been given a fair shake. I think, you know, them getting Jimmy Butler was a good move for for the organization. They were obviously a, a Kawhi game winner to what a Kawhi Leonard game winner away from, you know, getting to the Eastern Conference Finals last year and then potentially doing some more damage after that. So I don't think you can really take this season at face value. Yes, I, I do agree with the firing and that you probably have to get a new voice in that organization, but. At the end of the day, who's out there that's going to be better than Brett Brown? Probably not many other candidates unless you can, you know, steal a big name away from some team or there's an up-and-coming college coach. Or, you know, Jay Wright's name has been thrown around. But in, in a year of uncertainty, you know, within college basketball, are you going to get a big-name college coach? Probably not. So it, it, there are a lot of holes on this roster. Uh, I, I think that's evident going forward. So whether they, you know, somehow get out of the Horford contract or, or trade away a couple of guys to, to get some other assets that complement Embiid and Simmons well, I think it's going to be a tough job and probably not going to be able to be completed in an offseason. And we might see sort of a, a rebuild on the fly of sorts, if you because as long as they have Embiid and, Embiid and Simmons, they're going to make the playoffs and they're going to be competitive. It's just a matter of if you can find a, a mid to late round, you know, draft gem or a, a guy who – you know, it was undervalued and, and maybe get him on the cheap and a trader on the cheap and free agency to, to go around those guys. So I think they definitely need a lot of shooters. You know, I think Embiid is one of the most dominant centers, but at the end of the day, you need someone who can, uh, you know, shoot on the perimeter. And uh, Simmons is always going to be able to get the ball and spread it around. It's just a matter of if he can develop a jump shot as well. But, uh, you know, strong showing from the Celtics. I don't want to, you know, undercut that. I think, uh, as Kemba Walker continues to get healthy, he th- he threw up 32 points. Tatum threw another 28 in that elimination game. Jalen Brown's, you know, a pretty good player in his own right. So I think, it, you know, as Jalen Brown and Tatum get older, I think they're going to torment the East for years to come. And the Sixers have to find a way to to basically combat those two. And it's it's kind of a slap in the face that the Sixers traded up to draft uh, Markel Fultz when, uh, you know, Tatum's been torching them year after year ever since he got there. Um, but yeah, I think it's basically, we, you know, we, we chalked that topic, uh, to bed. So they have some, some things to iron out on their end, but, uh, we'll move over to the West now. We'll, we'll talk about Aaron's favorite team in the league, the Los Angeles Lakers with his favorite player in the league. 
uh, LeBron James uh, going against the Portland Trailblazers. They just finished up a game uh, yesterday. The Lakers uh, won in a blowout um, and to take a commanding 3-1 series lead on uh, Mama Day, 824. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on the Lakers so far this series? And uh, how do you think do anything they shake out for, for the rest of the playoffs? Yeah, so uh, we didn't really get to touch on this this series all too much. I mean, we gave our predictions. I remember going back to last the last week, but um, you know, pleasantly surprised when uh, Portland pulled out Game One. I thought, you know, maybe that they're going to make this a series and and give them a run for their money. But it really the, uh, the all the wind came out of the sails after that game because they ever since then have been I'm not going to say terrible, but um, like we had talked about off air, uh, just they can't really seem to defend. Uh, you know, they're having a serious problem with Anthony Davis. Obviously, LeBron's going to give you a double. He's a double-double guy almost every night uh, at least. So, yeah, <laughs> at, at times, that, that's for sure. Um, I mean, I just think, uh, you know, that the, the Trailblazers just I, – I don't know. I don't understand it. It's like – you know, I think they, they have a, a pretty decent roster. Um, you know, they're, they're standing in, in the West. wouldn't really tell you that, but every time I, I watch them and every time I see them, you know, year after year after year, it's kind of like the same, the same story year after year. It reminds me of uh, the, the Raptors in the East. Um, and, and they just – they could never get out of uh, – you know, LeBron would just torment them to no end. So it just seems like – the, the Trailblazers can't keep up. Uh, obviously, LeBron, AD, it's just too much. And then, you know, if any of these – if you give, uh, you know, Kuzma more than 10 points, more than 15 points, uh, you know, you give – not like Caruso is going to really light the world on fire, but, um, you know, any of these other guys, if they start contributing, it, it's going to be a real tough task to ask Portland to keep up. Um, you know, other than uh, Damian Lillard, I mean, I, I just – I'm not a C.J. McCollum believer. I just think he, he fades way too often uh, in the big games. I mean, he'll – at the end of the day, uh, it almost looks like his, his stats look pretty good, but he just doesn't uh, – he doesn't really contribute as much as, as they need him to. And then, um, yeah, like other than that, it's – you're not really getting too much from other people. Carmelo Anthony's kind of over the hill, I would say, uh, at this point in his career. Uh, he'll give you, you know, 14, 15 points, but not much defense whatsoever. And, and that just kind of falls in line with the whole Trailblazers squad. So I kind of expect the Lakers to just roll over them, especially because, uh, you know, Damian Lillard being out the next game that I, they're kind of just going to be looking for, for answers and they don't, they won't seem to have any, I would say. Yeah. There's, you'll be the injury guy and the, and the injury roundup here in the pot, obviously, uh, Lillard has been named uh, or, or downgraded to out uh, for game five. C.J. McCollum dealing with a, you know, fractured back, which is – I don't understand how he's still walking, much less playing a basketball game. Uh, Anthony Davis had back spasms, but he's expected to play in game five. Uh, Rajon Rondo, uh, I, I think he's doubtful for game five as well. So the Lakers should be returning pretty much the same lineup. And, you know, the Blazers don't have Dame, so uh, not, not to count them out, but I'm going to count them out. Um, you mentioned you mentioned yeah. Mello. Uh, you know there was a game. I think it was game two or three, um, where he, you know, him and LeBron were guarding each other and they were going at it, which kind of reminded me of, of when they, they they'd go at it back in the old days when you know, LeBron was with Cleveland the Heat and uh, and Mello was with the Nuggets and then obviously the Knicks. So, uh, do you think a guy like that, uh, you know, obviously he can play elite level basketball for for ten or fifteen minutes a night, but not really going to give you much on the defensive side of the floor and then might get tired out to hang with a guy like LeBron or, you know, hang with some of the other big dogs in the league. So do you think a guy like that um, is suited for a, a starting role or, or a, your six-man role, or do you think he should probably, uh, you know, check his ego a little bit and maybe come for a, for a bench role moving forward after after uh, this year? Yeah, it, it, it pains me to say that, I, you know, I just think he – He's over the hill. Uh, he's not really what he used to be. He's, um, you know, he's one of those guys. He's easily forgettable. I mean, I just think at, at in this point in his career, obviously, he's he has accomplished a lot individually. Um, you know, probably one of the best scorers that ever played the game in his prime, but um, just never really uh, got to the promised land. So I I think you know it kind of reminds me of how Vince Carter started to jump 
team after team after team after team towards the end. Um, and obviously he wasn't the player he used to be, you know, down the last five, six years of, of his career. So I think, uh, you know, if I'm Carmelo Anthony, I'm just going to, you know, maybe hop on to a, a Clippers squad, you know, maybe join LeBron. I mean, I wouldn't personally join LeBron, but uh, you know, <laughs> he, uh, you know, if, if he's ring chasing, that might be something he, he might be interested in. I, I think that's what he should do. Um, just because obviously father times come, you know, at his front door, but you know, it's going to be up to him. I, I think Melo is one of those guys that he doesn't really want to be um, a role player. He doesn't necessarily want to be, you know, the towards the end of the, the end of the roster. Um, but at this point in his career, he doesn't have a whole lot to give. I would say, you know, it's not like he has no game left, but he's not, he's not coveted obviously like he used to be. So I think he's got to check himself a little bit as much as I hate to say that because I do love Melo, but uh, he just, he's not really half of the player he used to be. And that's just kind of like a fact at this point. I fully expect him to play with LeBron at some point. I, I'd have to check what his contract is, but I think he only signed for a year. Uh, correct me yep. if I'm wrong. Their yeah, he's a free agent um, after this season. Yeah, that's what I figured. So I, you know, I, I think he could probably – I mean, who's who's the 15th man in the Lakers? Jared Dudley, who hasn't really sniffed, uh, you know, a minute here in uh, in the bubble. I think he could definitely take over that spot. He could probably play over a J.R. Smith, over a Deion Waiters, over a guy like Quinn Cook. Uh, he'd probably be the 10th, 11th guy on a on, on the Lakers roster and, and probably crack a top seven on a, on a lesser roster. So, it, it's I guess it's kind of in his court no pun intended whether he wants to, you know, play for a title contender or, you know, play for a, a developing team, I should say, and then, and then maybe have a bigger role, maybe you know, leadership role in addition to, you know, carrying the load offensively. But, you know, it, it, you know, I kind of feel bad for the guy. Obviously he doesn't have a ring and, and definitely deserved a ring back when he played for the Nuggets and then those early Knicks years as well. Uh, I, I just think he really never has been a guy that would take a back seat. So I don't know if he'll be comfortable with a role like that, but maybe, uh, He'll be able to check his ego a little bit and, and join his buddy LeBron and, and then win a ring. But uh, I think I think we'd be remiss here if, if we're talking NBA. We don't mention the Clippers Maverick series, which has been an absolute delight uh, to watch. Luka Doncic at 21 years old um, had a 43-point triple double in an overtime win, in addition to a heartbreaking buzzer beater over Reggie Jackson to steal Game Four. Uh, he's been absolutely on fire uh, last game playing without Porzingis. Um, he'll be without Porzingis again in game five, but uh, I think he's, you know, without overstating this, I think he's one of, if not, you know, the guys that are going to be the future of the NBA. I mean, he's 21 years old. It's it's kind of amazing that four teams ended up passing on him in the draft, and then, and then the Hawks ended up trading him to Dallas. Uh, so, I, I you know, 2-2, I, I probably still have to go Clippers here as, as my favorite um, to win this series, but uh, – I'm definitely not sleeping on the on the Mavericks at all. I think I think once uh, Porzingis comes back, if he can come back this series, I think the Clippers are going to be in trouble. Um, but uh, I also want to say that that uh, Paul George absolutely stinks. And if your nickname is Playoff P, uh, you should probably score more than like ten points a game uh, in the playoffs. <laughs> that's uh, that's my talk in the Clippers here and 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 Mavericks. And love to get your thoughts on Doncic and then Paul George as well. Yeah, the, you you pretty much nailed it. Uh, I was, you know, I was catching up on some undisputed. Uh, shout out to Shannon. Shout out yeah. to Big Skip. But uh, you Big know, Skip. those those guys touched on on this topic very similar to, to what you know we what you had gone into, and and I think you're exactly right. I mean, uh, Luca is just absolutely uh, the Clippers these last couple of games, especially. Um, you know, what's interesting is. There's some stats on, on Luka Doncic. Uh, I can never say his name right, but excuse it. that uh, for, the, for the listeners. But, um, you know, obviously drops 43 last, last game, uh, 43, 17, and 13. You'll take that all day, every day. Okay. Um, but uh, what, what's interesting is he shot three air balls in the game, which is just kind of, you know, not, not stereotypical for, for a guy that's putting up 43 points. Um, and he's actually, uh, of 147 three-point shooters in the league, he ranks 140th 
at 31.6%. And not to get analytical on, on everybody because oh, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not a big analytics, uh, I'm not a big analytics, you know, nerd by any means, but um, I, I would rather see results, not numbers. Uh, you know, I, I like the eye test myself. So obviously, you know, you're going to take that from, from Luca any day. Uh, it was a hell of a performance. Uh, can he keep it going for a couple more games? I think he'll, he'll definitely drop at least 30 the next game. Uh, and then if Porzingis comes back for what games, that's game it's six. six. Of them. Yeah. I think, you know, maybe they, they force a game seven um, just because, you know, trying to cover Porzingis, Luca, um, Obviously, you got Trey Burke, who's been going off in that series as well. Um, I'm missing one other piece. There's another person on that. Tim oh, uh, Tim Hardaway and uh, Seth Curry. Curry. You can't forget about Seth Curry. Um, actually, been playing really well in in addition. So, um, you know, Dallas is going to be a problem for years to come. I think, uh, you know, if, if you watch some of that last game, the Clippers were kind of playing almost 76ers esh. 76ers, uh, very similar to the 76ers, excuse me, uh, just kind of not being super creative on offense. They were kind of letting Leonard just, you know, run it. And, and you know, it was kind of predictable down the stretch. I think that kind of cost them. Um, and the same token, I think the, the Clippers will get it figured out. I think, you know, like I said, it might go to seven uh, with Porzingis coming back. Uh, Lou Williams definitely balled out, and, and I'm, I'm a big Lou Williams guy. I think he's one of the best, if not the best, six man out there. But uh, dropped 36, actually dropped more than Kawhi Leonard this last game. Um, but, yeah, I think, uh, I think you touched on uh, a great point. I think Paul George is, as Skip Bayless calls him, George Paul. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, I don't really know why that's uh, an insult. You know, it's just a, a flip-flop of his name. But. Regardless of the fact, uh, just been absolutely atrocious. Uh, I, I did see the uh, – he missed a, like a point-blank layup. I don't know if he's just like two in his head uh, about, you know, past playoff series or, or I don't know what, what seems to be going on with, with, you know, Paul George. I kind of feel bad for him to a certain extent. Um, he just needs to step it up. If, if the Clippers are going to, you know, advance, you know, from this series and, and – further series he's got to play better there's no excuse for uh, a guy that's making a ton of money and and one of those guys that a few years ago was looked at as a an MVP finalist to to be playing this terrible I mean he's just he's not playing defense and that was kind of his his specialty before so they're they're relying way too much on on Leonard and and obviously Lou Williams is gives them a spark but they need uh they need their realistically their second best player to, to come up and actually, you know, give them some solid points, some solid defensive possessions uh, from here on out. But I do expect them to get on track and and probably pull it out. And I think the series might go seven. But yeah, I would not be surprised. Uh, I wouldn't be sorry. Real quick, I wouldn't be surprised if the Mavericks or yeah, if the Mavs upset them. If if poor, if they for some reason if they pull off the next game and then uh, Porzingis comes back, I think the Clippers are in, in deep trouble then at that point. So if you, if they take the next two games, you think they go and beat the Lakers then? Uh, I think they have a great chance. I think you know maybe that's here to go to six or seven, uh, only because I I think the Mavericks' offense is clicking on all, on all cylinders, and it's it's not really coming just from Luca. Obviously, he's putting up a shit ton of points, but you got a ton of other pieces contributing, and then you throw Porzingis in the mix as well. That that's going to be a problem. Lakers in five. Uh, one, one more uh, Paul George take that not, – not a take, just a little nugget here. There is no relevancy at all to the series or to uh, the playoffs. But Paul George uh, was dating Doc Rivers' daughter. Um, and then he ended up getting a stripper pregnant. Um, so they severed ties with each other. Flash forward uh, a little bit. Uh, Seth Curry, brother of Steph Curry, um, has since married – I, I believe Doc, River, Doc Rivers' daughter, and he is now uh, tied with Doc Rivers and the Clippers um, in this playoff series. So just a little bit of off-the-court drama that is always fun um, when talking about basketball and um, basically being a league that is suited for reality TV. Uh, so <laughs> playoff P has to 
probably clean up his struggles on the court, but it, it'd be also tough to face Doc Rivers off the court as well if I were George Paul, as Skip Bayless likes to say. Nice. Uh, that's I did hear that. That's an interesting story. Um, I think, you know, that might give Seth Curry even a little bit more uh, motivation just to kind of rub it in uh, Paul George or, or as we call him, George Paul. Until he uh, uh, he prepared. called him a little bitch last game. Seth Curry I called did, yeah. uh, Paul George a bitch, so uh, he's taking it to him, and and uh, so are the Mavericks. Yeah, it's kind of funny. I mean, I don't think you'd see Seth, or I'm sorry, not Seth. I don't think you'd see Steph Curry really calling somebody uh, a bitch. But hey, uh, I guess his his brother is more of a savage than he is. No, you know, no disrespect to him at all. But um, yeah, no, it's it's definitely interesting. I think. Uh, you know, this this is the obviously the best series we've had so far in, in this, uh, you know, bubble-style playoff situation. Yeah, no, I, I think uh, it's it's kind of fun, you know, just, just keep up with these series. And uh, I, I forgot – I mean, I, I definitely am a self-admitted, more casual basketball fan. But every, every year I always get pretty jacked up for the playoffs because, uh, you know, you get moments like the Doncic game winner. You, you get, you know, Giannis and his dominance. You get the Lakers as a team. You get – storylines like Dame and, and Devin Booker and different guys like that going off. So I, I feel like in every series, there's always some underlying storyline that's always pretty fun to keep up with. And that's why I like watching uh, uh, playoff basketball, but let's, let's switch, switch some gears here and uh, touch on a few of the other major sports. Uh, do you want to go NFL first or, or do you want to go MLB here? Aaron? Yeah, we'll, we'll touch on, we'll switch it up and go and go to the gridiron just cause uh, let's do it. Why not? Why not? Let's do it. Um, well, why don't you kick us off here? And there were a couple of storylines. Earl Thomas, obviously, re- released by the Ravens. Wanted to get your thoughts on that. He's he's a guy who, uh, you know, since his exit in uh, in the Seahawks, the last time we saw him in a Seahawks uniform, he was carted off the field uh, week four, uh, two years ago. And, uh, you know, giving the middle finger to the sideline and Pete Carroll because he didn't get his contract. And uh, obviously unhappy there. But, you know, also, you know, be- just because of, of being a head case and a locker room cancer, uh, plays his way out of the, out of the Ravens as well. So uh, why don't you shed some light on that um, situation and, and maybe uh, provide a few landing spots, potential landing spots for our good friend Earl Thomas here. Yeah, it's it's funny you bring this situation up. It, it almost reminds me of your boy uh, Jamal Charles Adams. Adams. Yeah, dude, I'm – you would think I drank before the show. I'm, I'm having so many, like, brain farts here. But, Drinking the Kool-Aid. Uh, <laughs> not the case not the case I can assure you tonight but uh yeah it reminds me of almost like a Jamal Adams only because uh obviously you hear the words locker room cancer you hear the words um distraction you know those type of things uh and go and it's going hand in hand with Earl Thomas uh yeah this one kind of surprised me because I thought you know maybe once he got out of Seattle that, that things would change and you know maybe he'd get his head on a little bit more straight and, and that seemed to be the case I mean he was he balled out for the Ravens last year, uh, had a great season with them. So, um, yeah, it just kind of came out of nowhere. Um, uh, but reportedly they, they said he had to go. Like there was no ifs, ands, or buts. So, obviously he was a problem. Um, you know, that, that had to be resolved. So, um, he did grow up in the uh, Dallas area, uh, outside of Dallas. Uh, yet again, another guy that, uh, wants to play for the Cowboys, which I don't really understand why it seems like half the league wants to play for that team. But um, as far as I think, um, uh, I know, I know he would, he would definitely want to play there. Like back when he was on Seattle, um, he actually went into their locker room and was telling players to tell their GM, tell Jerry Jones, basically go trade for him. But the Cowboys came out and said they don't want him, or I guess not that they don't want him. They're not going to pursue him. Maybe, you know, this, they, they know some inside information that, the general fan might not know. Uh, maybe he's become too much of a head case, uh, you know, in, in the Ravens organization for, for them to pursue him. It's interesting, too. Before he signed with the Ravens, actually, the Chiefs had offered him a one-year deal. So, you know, maybe he, him, he uh, go, go, goes and plays with uh, Tyron Matthew for, for a year and, uh, you know, bolsters that safety group, which would be pretty fun to watch. But uh, I personally would not want him on my team just because I, I don't like the culture of the Jets already, and I think throwing a guy like that into it is basically another, like you said, another Jamal Adams in there. But, uh, I mean, if, you, if you're a team out there who who maybe their defense needs a dominant ball-hawking safety, 
to really com- complete the puzzle? Do you think they, they go for him for a year, take a flyer on him? I mean, I, I certainly think somebody does. Uh, I, I take the same position as you, as you just stated. I think, you know, if I'm a, if I'm a general manager, I'm, there's no way in hell I'm, I'm signing him. I'm, I'm walking the other way as fast as I can just because I, I'm totally against uh, team distractions and, and locker room cancers on 100% t- 10 times out of 10 times. So, uh, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I would not rule the Cowboys completely out just because they've done crazier things but you know like you bring up you know probably not uh I think you know maybe the, the Patriots uh their their safety opted out of the season Patrick Chung and then you know Bill Belichick is never afraid to take uh, a guy that has had issues either on the field off the field you know any of the sort so uh Patriots are, are always uh at least maybe a uh, potential landing spot that, that's not out of the ordinary um, the 49ers Kyle, and Kyle Shanahan already said they don't want him. <laughs> so it's obvious that, you know, a lot of these teams are know the type of, you know, maybe character this, this guy has, the, the entourage that he comes with, uh, the, the issues he brings. So, um, you know, maybe the Cleveland Browns, uh, that was brought up as well. Uh, Houston Texans, I don't really see that one. I'm, I'm going over an article I was reading earlier on, on CBS. But I don't see the Texans just because obviously they shipped DeAndre Hopkins out for probably a lot less than what Earl Thomas brings. Um, so to me, the Patriots make a lot of sense just because like they've they've picked players where they've had problems in the past. Um, other than that, I mean, it, it's really anybody's guess at that point. I don't think um, there's a ton of landing spots for him just because obviously the incident in Seattle and now you know, this raises even more question marks about his character because, um, you know, the Ravens are an organization where um, they have a lot of, of good things going on. And for them to, to drop somebody that talented, there there had to be some type of obviously uh, locker room issue going on. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting, too. They have a, a sort of a locker room and a lot of leaders in that room who kind of police themselves. They actually have a a leadership committee among the players, and, and they ultimately gave the green light to um, to management to go ahead and release Earl Thomas. So it obviously had to be something um, that was irreparable, uh, the damage that was done there from Earl Thomas. So it'll be, it'll be a, a situation to monitor moving forward. I don't expect him to be out there on the market um, for very long. Uh, and I think someone with playoff aspirations, like I said, probably looking to, to, to round out that defensive backfield would, you know, scoop him up pretty quickly here in the next few days. Uh, but but we mentioned the Cowboys earlier. I wanted to, to jump back to them real quick and uh, get to some comments from Mike McCarthy, their new head coach, uh, talking about his aspirations with the team this year. I think uh, Aaron has those comments queued up. So why don't you get to, to his quote? We can dissect uh, the Cowboys a little bit going into the season. Yeah, so, you know, this just really surfaced today. Uh, Mike McCarthy, obviously, first year at the helm in, in Dallas. In the Lone Star State, he comes out and says, um, you know, it's Super Bowl or bust for the 2020 Dallas Cowboys, which, um, you know, it, it almost sounded like that was coming straight from Jerry Jones's mouth um, to make it such an outlandish statement, especially in your uh, in your first year as uh, head coach of the team. Uh, doesn't make a whole lot of sense, obviously putting a, a target on their back that, you know, they, they seem to have every season no matter what. But uh, it's Super Bowl or bust for the Dallas Cowboys. What do you think about that that type of statement? I think it's absurd, uh, t- to be honest. I, I you know, I, I look at a roster that, yes, has a lot of talent on the offensive side of the football. And, and basically every position, you have Amari Cooper, you have Michael Gallup, you have C.D. Lamb coming in there to, to round out their wide receiver group. You have a guy like Ezekiel Elliott. Their offensive line has been elite for the past four or five years years now. Dak Prescott is arguably a top 15, top 10 quarterback, depending on who you ask, depending on who you talk to. Their defense has always been above average. They've drafted well, et cetera, et cetera. I think the only thing that is not, – not the only thing, but the, the main thing that's gotten in, in the way in the past probably few years is, is uh, Jason Garrett and the coaching staff. I, I never really trusted him as a head coach. He was basically a guy who – uh, was a puppet of Jerry Jones and basically did whatever he wanted him to do and coached the team how he thought the team should be coached. And he did that. He, he, you know, you know 
hired guys who were familiar with the Cowboys. Kellen Moore obviously was the offensive coordinator who had played quarterback for them. Uh, Jason Garrett played quarterback for the Cowboys. So Jerry's, Jerry likes to keep a lot of guys in-house, and they did that with Jason Garrett. But flash forward to this year, we have a guy, Mike McCarthy, who – you know, arguably had had the most talented or, or second most talented quarterback of all time in Aaron Rodgers, and only and only won one Super Bowl, and that was nine years ago. Um, he, he famously said this offseason that he took the last year to basically bury himself in a in a bunker and um, you know get better as a coach, get better as a play caller, um, you know, bring advanced stats into his coaching portfolio, into his repertoire, basically improve every way and every facet as a head coach. So. I think, you know, in some respects, talk is definitely cheap, and I'm definitely a show-me guy, um, definitely an eye test guy. And until I see, you know, the Cowboys put together uh, a championship-caliber team, I don't think you can you can call yourself uh, championship or bust. Yeah, I mean, it's not that he doubled down, but he did come out and say, you know, we have a lot of work to do. Just the, the stereotypical, uh, you know, answer as far as, you know, we have a lot of work to do. Um, you know, obviously, if you're not trying to win the Super Bowl, what, what exactly is the point of coaching and, and what exactly is the point of playing the game? So doubled down a little bit, I would say. Um, you know, that's how it always goes. But um, he did come out and say, you know, it's Super Bowl or bust. Make no bones about it. So that's uh, verbatim from Mike McCarthy's mouth. I don't know if that's – he's picking up some, like, Southern lingo. Um, but – yeah, that, that's exactly what he had to say. Make no bones about it. Yeah, you know, I, I think uh, that's that's definitely a bold take. Um, you know, we, we talked about Dak Prescott and, and not really being able to, to pinpoint um, what, what the issue of that team was. I think it was coaching. I think Dak Prescott is, you know, he's definitely not a top five quarterback, but I don't think he's a quarterback who is, is unable to take them to – you know, the, the NFC championship game and, and beyond. I think he has the skill set. I think they have the team to do it, but, you know, more so in any other sport coaching is, is very important in the NFL because it can, you, you know, you could have the, you know, shittiest players in the league on the field, but if you're coaching up a scheme that fits your guys and you're coaching it to perfection, uh, you're probably going to win nine times out of 10. It's, it's just kind of a fact. And, that's why you see a lot of these organizations like the Browns, like the Jets, like the Lions, who, you know, their head, head coaching position has basically been a revolving door the last 10 to 15 years. And you wonder why teams like that aren't winning. Well, you know, it starts with your head coach, you know, your GM and things like that, because they know the players the best. And if you're not coaching to the players that you have on the field, you're probably not going to win many games in the league. And same thing with Mike McCarthy. If he's not coaching to, Dak Prescott's strengths and they're not going to win. I, I think Aaron Rodgers had so much natural talent and such a, a sense for the game that he matched a lot of their issues. And, you know, the, the Packers were a team that never really had that great of a defense for, for most of Mike McCarthy's career there. But when they did, they were a really good team. And um, the offense was, was always decent because Aaron Rodgers is such a good quarterback. So I don't think he really elevated them as much as Aaron Rodgers did. And I don't think he's going to be able to do it, do it with Dallas and he could absolutely make me eat my words right now. And we could be talking about a juggernaut here in the next uh, month or two down in Dallas, but I hope for your sake, that doesn't happen. Um, yeah. Um, I'm of the same mindset. I, I do have some fear just because uh, we, Dan and I talk about, um, you know, Eagles, Jets, that type of thing, a, a good bit off air. And we were kind of getting into the fact that, you know, I, I think, significantly that that uh, McCarthy is an upgrade over Jason Garrett I think Jason Garrett is pissed for at, at best as a head coach I just don't he, he's not a motivator of of players he's not you know obviously he's coach clap and I just don't think he you know benefited the Dak Prescott benefited the the team all all that much so I think going forward um, you know Mike McCarthy's going to make them slightly better Usually uh, the Cowboys are either in the playoffs or right on the outside, you know, within the last three to four seasons. That's kind of been their uh, – basically their story. So I think, um, you know, I am fearful of Mike McCarthy improving them significantly. So it, it's just obviously time will tell. And, and like you alluded to, I'm, I'm a big show-me type of guy as well. Um, Dougie P, the coach of the Eagles, he's always, uh, you know, in December he's money. So down the stretch they seem to to figure it out and 
that's exactly what they're going to probably have to do once again this season. So um, I just look for the Cowboys to be probably better. Um, how much better, that, that's yet to be determined. Uh, this is a huge season, obviously, for, for Prescott as he got slapped the tag. So, um, you know, he's going to be playing for, with a purpose just with that alone. But uh, Prescott did come out and say this week that they've been learning a lot more. And it was almost like a, taking a, a low-key shot at, at Jason Garrett, which is kind of interesting because he was all over the Cowboys for firing him initially. And then he kind of came out and said, ever since McCarthy's there, you can almost like feel his presence more. And uh, the, the, the Cowboys as a team have learned much more since he's been there. So I, I don't know. Maybe I'm taking it for more than what it is, but that was brought up this week. No, it's an interesting it's an interesting nugget you mentioned there. And it'll be an interesting storyline as we get rolling here with the regular season in about two and a half, three weeks. Uh, so it's something to keep our eye on. But uh, why don't we transition here? Why don't we cap off the podcast with Aaron's favorite topic, the NHL, if you don't mind, my friend. Let's get it. Uh, so, so your boys, Philadelphia Flyers, uh, made it to the second round, uh, got past the Montreal Canadiens in six games, five games. I think it was uh, relatively quick, light work of, of the Canadiens, nothing much to it, but ran into a juggernaut, uh, the, the New York Islanders. They lost four, nothing in their opening game in the second round last night. So, uh, what do you think of the, of the Flyers chances moving forward? Do you think they can bounce back and, and take it to the Islanders or do you think, uh, they're kind of screwed in this one. Yeah, so uh, for nothing, uh, Flyers get handed the loss in game one. Uh, they came out pretty flat as far as uh, just not a whole lot of life in the team, at least from body language, from hustle, from, you know, there were a couple of breakaways where um, I can't picture who exactly it was at this point. Um, Kevin Hayes. <laughs> yeah, there you go. My man Dan always got my back. But as far as, you know, just – you know, no goals on net. I think the the Flyers have a better goaltender than than the Islanders coming in. Yeah. Um, might just be a, a game one fluke, or uh, you know, the Islanders just outplayed them this this time around. But I look for the Flyers to respond. I think, you know, the Flyers have more talent. I think from a perspective of once the Islanders get up on somebody, it is kind of hard just because their their defense plays pretty systematically. It's it's pretty efficient. And, uh, you know, they do a lot of just blocking of the puck, uh, getting rid of the puck as fast as possible from, from the other team. And, and they're good at what they do. But I just think the, the Flyers do have slightly more talent. I think the Flyers, you know, will find a way to, to come back at least in game two, make it a series. You obviously, you don't want to go down 2 nothing. And, uh, you know, I look for the Flyers to win this series, but it, it, could, it could be one that goes seven games. And, you know, I think these teams are very comparable. But I did not. I did not expect out of the gate to to drop the game for nothing. That was a little bit uh, unsettling. But we'll see what what happens from here on out. Yeah. No. I, uh, it's it's extremely astute uh, hockey analysis from you there. I think uh, two two of the two of those goals were empty netters. Uh, uh, the Flyers coach for some reason pulled. Uh, I think I think the last one. Excuse me. Was an empty netter. The Flyers coach. Uh, pulled the goal with like seven minutes left and then the Islanders scored like right away once the goal was pulled. So, uh, you know, I watched that entire game. Um, the Islanders definitely came out pretty hot. The Flyers were uh, pretty flat footed the entire first period. And, and like you said, uh, once you get up, once the Islanders get up on a team like that, they, they have the best team defense in the entire league. The Flyers, they have the better goalie in, in Carter Hart, uh, but, uh, the Islanders as a team play defense extremely well, and then uh, they outwork you. So if, if you're a team that's pretty finesse and looking to rely on your individual talent to, to win a game and score some points, then uh, you're probably not going to win against that team because they eliminate your stars and, and make you work for every inch and uh, every shot, every goal, every assist, et cetera, et cetera, to make you work. So I think it'll be a long series. I don't think uh, the Flyers will get continue to be shut out since they, they probably have uh, – a better roster, more talented roster on paper than the Islanders do. But uh, the Islanders are definitely better coached and uh, definitely outworked the Flyers in that game. But uh, just moving around the rest of the series here, uh, Tampa Bruins are a pretty good series to watch. Uh, Bruins took the first game in that series, um, and they're actually tied 2-2 right now after two periods, so that's something to uh, monitor. The Stars are up 2 nothing over the Avalanche, which I think was pretty shocking. Um, 
the Avalanche continue to outshoot them and, and probably outplay the Stars, but um, it really only matters uh, at the end of the day on the scoreboard. So uh, they're up 2 nothing. The Vegas Golden Knights um, in their third ever NHL season are up on the Vancouver Canucks, one uh, nothing. They're playing tonight, actually, at 9.45. Uh, they won their first game 5 nothing, and I think if I had to make uh, my Stanley Cup prediction, I'd probably pick them, mainly because I hate every team in the East that's left, and then uh, the teams in the West don't really inspire me outside of the Golden Knights. They, they rolled through um, their first-round matchup and are continuing to roll through their second-round matchup, so... Um, you can probably place that bet now if you want, Aaron. You can, uh, you can place the bet on the Golden Knights to win the Stanley Cup. Hey, whatever you know, whatever you think is best, I, I might just have to take your word for it. You're the uh, hockey connoisseur, and uh, you know you've been studying the game for far longer and, and far more deeply than than I ever have or, or probably ever will, to, to be frank with you. So, um, you know, maybe I'll put all my chips in on the. Uh, the Vegas, what, Golden Knights? Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, you always love a good, you know, you always love some hockey talk uh, to cap off a pod here. But uh, I think it was a great show uh, tonight, Aaron. Uh, listeners, thank you again, as always, for tuning in. Um, you know, even if we had one listener, you know, I think it'd be worth it because Aaron and I, at the end of the day, just love everything about sports. But uh, looking forward to some more NFL talk coming down the pipeline. I believe they start the regular season about two and a half weeks. Um, so, We'll definitely uh, give you some good divisional previews, some good uh, Jets and Eagles previews coming up here in the, in the near future. But uh, Aaron, why don't you take us home? Yeah, super, super excited for the NFL to start. Uh, obviously, this is, you know, months ago, this is what we were anticipating, you know, all the sports really coming to the forefront all at the same time. And, and we're finally getting that, obviously, in, in quite different, um, you know, scenarios and, and situations because of COVID. But... Uh, love to see it, and, and obviously the, the playoffs are definitely exciting in both hockey and, and basketball, and, and I'm just looking forward to seeing what happens in baseball, and obviously the, the gridiron is right around the corner. So we'll, we'll see. It should be an exciting uh, time of the year. It's for damn sure. For damn sure. Take this home.